Welcome to another edition of the Alt. Nope, not the Ultimate Win Show. The MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA LOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 54, headlined by a light heavyweight matchup between Alexander Rakic and former title holder. Jan Blahovic. We got a couple other interesting matchups sprinkled throughout the card, but similar to a couple prior fight nights that they've had over the last couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really get my uh my heart pumping that much. I'm sure by Friday night, by Saturday morning, I'm gonna change my tune because it's always nice to have a day full of fights, but we got 11 fights, starts at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you know, if it was a little bit earlier than that, I'd probably be psyched and jacked up to get going, but Man, uh, not not a whole lot to be uh, to be psyched about for this card. But fights are fights, bets are bets, and we'll see what's up. Um, all right. Uh, so once we're once again, we're going to be doing a live version of the lockcast here. Uh, I'll take a couple questions in and out uh, for each matchup. Please do remember, uh, please keep the questions that you guys have for um, specifically for the matchup that I'm talking about, just so we can stay on topic of it as best as possible. But the one thing and the first thing that I usually like to do uh, when we do these uh, the, these episodes is the betting recap of the last event. So let me quickly just pull up my uh, bet MMA tips here for my lock of the night uh, stuff. And we are on a three event winning streak right now, which is always great, always fun, but we got to keep that momentum rolling on. So I'm not going to get my, my hopes up too high that I've finally gotten back into my groove. It's all about sustaining it now, you know, staying in the green as much as possible. So last event, very, very good event on my end, especially how we started off the night uh, hit after hit. So let's start off with the first uh, fight of the night, which was journey Newson. I had him one unit at plus one thirty. He was my dog with an eye play you know i wasn't really a fan of how we started off that fight with all of his flashy techniques but as the fight started to go on he started to get a little grittier landing the better shots against uh fernando or sorry uh, fernie garcia and really hurting him a bunch of times and really busting him up the later that that fight went so great way to start off the night with having the uh the dog of the night play cash uh for 1.3 units Next up, we had Lupita Godinez go out there and just put on a master class performance against Ariani Carnalosi. She was close to being my lock of the night play, and that is a lock of the night type performance. So I'm happy to still at least cash uh, a two-unit bet on her at minus 174. We cashed 1.15 units in profit. But considering how confident I felt in our, on her, I felt like we could have cashed way more units on her if I... Um, you know, if I just had the balls to actually go out there and, and go even harder under there. But glad that she cast regardless. Next up, we had Blagoy Ivanov uh, pretty much winning a very close fight against Hajerio de Lima. That was one and a half units at minus 144. That cashed us for 1.04 units. And I felt pretty good about Bilgoy there, but man, he made that fight a lot closer than I expected. Not to mention Delima's cardio held up a lot better than I expected. It also looked like Ivanov was really slowing down himself, but when it came down to it in rounds two and three, he was the one that pushed a little bit harder. Say what you want about the decision. I don't think that last takedown for Delima truly should have given him the round. I thought Bilgoy did a good job of you know moving forward, landing his shots, asserting his dominance, and that should have been enough for him to win that third round. So three straight cashes on three money line bets there. Next on we move to a violence bet. I had uh, two units at minus 196 on the Brandon Roy Val and Matt Schnell fight doesn't go to decision. 
That's why I don't feel good about betting Brandon, Ro Brandon Royval at uh, chalk because, man, he makes these things way too sweaty. He gets them too close. He introduces the chaos. He gets hurt. He gets rocked. He gets dropped. And he reverses his fortune by uh, finding Machinel in the guillotine and eventually getting the dub that way. So, you know, perseverance from Brandon Royval on absolute notice there. Good win from there to wrap up the neck and get the win. Good win for us as well on the fight doesn't go to decision for a profit of 1.02 units. Then we hit a couple of L's here. Um, first of which, which was the Ovin St. Pru to win in round one, one year at plus 270. That guy blew nothing but smoke up my ass all week talking about how he wanted to go out there and give a much better performance uh, in the second fight against Shogun than he did in the first fight. Now, remember, in the first fight, he knocked him out in 34 seconds. So it was already a you know a tough uh, task to go out there and top that type of performance. But I thought he still would have gone out there and probably gotten a first-round knockout victory. No, he didn't. He went on to win a very close and you know a very close split decision against Shogun Hua. You should not be going to a decision against Shogun Hua and having it that close at this stage of your career. But here we are, so that's minus one unit there. Next up, I had the under four and a half of the Nami Yunus and Carlos Esparza fight. One unit plus one forty six. In hindsight, probably the worst bet I've ever made in my life, considering how that fight turned out to be. Um, it just seemed like Nami Yunus was a little bit too scared to get involved in the grappling because even when she did, she held her own pretty well. But she just didn't do anything else outside of that, which really didn't help my under four and a half at all. And if I if I'm if I'm being honest, that was the quickest 25-minute fight I've ever sat through, strictly because I'm watching the clock hoping for some action, but nothing's happening. But it still felt like the time was just clicking off the clock very, very quick. Um, but yeah, minus one unit there. And then lastly, we start the night with the dog of the night play that cashes, and then we end the night with the lock of the night play that cashes. Uh, five units at minus 164 on the under two and a half from Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje. They produced fireworks right off the bat just as uh, I expected, hence why that was the lock of the night play for me. So all in all, plus 5.56 units, 41% ROI. Uh, very happy with my performance there. I believe that's, uh, what, seven, eight, about a 10-unit streak that I'm on right now over the last three events, but I still got to dig myself out of the hole that I'm in for uh, 2022. I believe I'm still down about eight units on the year, but trending in the right direction and hopefully able to, uh, you know, Get back into the green in the year uh, before we take that one-week hiatus that the UFC is going to be taking on the May 28th weekend. That's actually a weekend before my my wedding as well, or my wedding festivities at least. So it'll be nice to go into that back in the green. All right, so that is a wrap on the betting recap there. Uh, let me just give a quick couple shout-outs here. Obviously, first and foremost, to CoolBet. Uh, CoolBet is a great... Uh, a bookie based out of Toronto up here, uh, and they do a very good job in terms of you know putting props out there, having good lines. Sometimes they lag on their lines, which is great for people that are a little bit late to betting certain things. Um, so uh, yeah, check out CoolBet. They also allow you to parlay props. They also have a lot of great analytical tools that you can use to help your betting as well. Uh, so make sure you guys check out CoolBet. Use promo code MMALOTN2, and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. 100% they'll match it. So make sure you guys go check them out. Love what they're doing over there. And then secondly, uh, shout out to, you know, my Patreon subscribers. You know, the, the numbers have kind of dwindled slightly here, obviously, because of the, the rough stretch I was on over the last couple months. But things are starting to turn around, seeing it, that it's starting to pick up once again. And uh, yeah, there's an obvious correlation as official bets continue to hit. That subscriber count will continue to, to, uh, to, to rise 
And uh, the fact that I am on a three-event winning streak and my plays are strictly behind the Patreon now, um, maybe that entices a couple people to hop on. And again, I don't want to strictly promote the Patreon as a see my picks there kind of thing. It's more so to support the content that I put out on a weekly basis for you guys. And not to mention just getting the best bets and props article as well. A great Discord community as well. We've kind of gone through another era, a different chapter in the Discord now. So I'm happy with the guys that we got in there. Um, Yeah. Again, five bucks a month. I know I'm not the greatest uh, and the highest unit guy out there, but I trust in my work. I trust in the 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 time that I put into it. And uh, five bucks a month is a great way to show that extra initiative. And the least that I ask is just hit that like and subscribe below for YouTube. That's it. That's free. <laughs> Two clicks is free. And that's all I ask for you guys. But if you want to go that extra mile, make sure you guys check out the Patreon. And then lastly, I don't have a banner written up for this actually, but uh, Thrive Fantasy is another new sponsor that I recently got. Um, it's pretty much a player props draft uh, uh, daily fantasy type of site. So you pretty much pick, you know, six fighters. I believe it's five or six fighters that you pick. And then for each fighter, there's a specific prop for it, right? Over under significant strikes, over under takedowns. And each of those props... Uh, have a numerical value attached to them. You pick six of those and it goes into a, like a DraftKings style pool and whoever comes out with the most points outside uh, after that um, wins pretty much, right? So uh, yeah, check out uh, Thrive Fantasy. Use promo code LOCK and they'll match your initial deposit, I believe up to 100 bucks as well. Very fun new website. They just launched last week. So the best thing about those types of sites is that there's not much of a, a player pool. They still do guaranteed payouts, but there's not as many people that you're going up against. So if you sign up and start getting in on these pools right now, you don't have as many people that you're going up against. The odds of you winning just go up a little bit more because of that. Um, yeah. If you do sign up, make sure you guys use promo code lock and let them know that I sent your ass over there because they're going to blow up very, very shortly here. All right. Um, let us just quickly look at uh, a couple of the the comments that we have here Lou Betcha in the chat appreciate you stopping by BP always one of my early predictions but I that ain't what I'm here for <laughs> we're talking about UFC Vegas 54 you shouldn't have left by now BP uh Rod Torx say what up appreciate you stopping by Lou Betcha in the chat Jaden in the chat Adam Rush in the chat my guy Vulcan Ardich uh maybe react Instagram DM by official Vulcan okay I will check out my Instagram Let's make some money. Yes, sir. Lou Betcha saying 76ers. Again, I got the I got the uniform on right now. It's my favorite logo out there. And obviously reminds me of my favorite player of all time, Allen Iverson. Uh, so I got to show them some love. Hopefully they're able to go out there and get a couple more wins. Because, you know, even though they beat the Raptors, my hometown Raptors, I am still cheering for them because uh, Joel Embiid is an absolute beast. It would be great to see him get a strap. Uh, Lou Betcha saying Blagoya was dominant, probably fight of the year, <laughs> probably not fight of the year, but uh, yeah, he should have won that fight. MMA experts in the chat, appreciate my guys stopping by here. Robot Chicken Wings saying OSP split decision is kind of rough, yeah, not a good look. He's also saying, I hope you get back to the green so you and Miss Lock, Miss Lock live it up. Oh, for sure. Again, I'm, I'm chilling right now. Official record could be better, but everything else is great. African saying Michael Johnson surely can't fuck this one up. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Lou Betcha saying we would welcome to Philly, sir. You to Philly. I have been to Philly at least once. Uh, way back in the day at UFC 133, I went to go watch that event live there. I believe it was Rashad Evans versus Tito Ortiz, the infamous Dennis, uh, 
what was the name? Dennis Hallman, I think is. I might be off on the name. The guy that wore the Speedos that fought Brian Ebersol and Ebersol beat him real quick and got a bonus because Dana didn't want those Speedos on the screen as long. Uh, Yoshihiro Akiyama against uh, Vitor L. Belfort. A lot of great fights on the card. Very, very fun. All right. Let's get into the gist of the show. Let's start breaking these fights down because that's what you guys are here for. First and foremost, in his last fight, Nick Maximov actually found himself in the co-main event of a fight night. Now here he is as the curtain jerker of the prelims. He's coming in at minus 375. He's going up against Andre Petrovsky, who's coming in at plus 310. Intriguing fight here. Obviously, two heavy grapplers, guys that like to go out there, take their opponents to the ground, and just dominate them with their Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I think Andre Petrovsky is a little bit more strength-based. Like he really tries to overpower his opponents on the ground and get head and arm chokes and you know uh, arm triangle chokes, all those types of things. Uh, whereas Maximov seems a little bit more of the finesse type compared to Petrovsky, right? Uh, he can get a couple reversals. He's pretty good in terms of riding his opponents, uh, going from position to position, staying one step ahead ahead of his opponents pretty much at all times the knock on petrosky has always been that he's a round one or a bust fighter but in back-to-back fights now he's gone out there and finished his opponents in the third round so that's definitely got to count for something but you still do see like he does slow down just luckily enough for him he's going up against abysmal competition so that he's able to go out there and get the third round victory he's going to be be facing a lot more resistance here in a guy nick maximov who's a very solid jiu-jitsu player obviously he showed that over his last couple fights you know racking up tremendous amount of control time against his opponents not to mention landing close to i believe it was 11 takedowns that he landed against um uh, Punahali Soriano in his last fight wasn't the most awe-inspiring performance in terms of an entertainment uh, aspect, which is why I think the UFC has now dropped him down to uh, you know the, the the curtain jerker for the prelims. But it's very effective, and he's able to go out there and get the wins over his opponents. Uh, I believe he is, yes he is undefeated at eight and zero. I believe he goes to nine and zero this weekend. But I think this line is just a little bit too wide. Both guys are great jiu-jitsu players, right? Will Maximov struggle with the strength of Petrosky? Maybe early, but the longer that this fight goes, I do think that Maximov gets the better of him. I don't think he finishes him, but I do think he grinds him out over 15, well, at least the last 10 minutes of this fight and takes home a decision victory. My favorite play, if I were to make one on it, which I'm not, would be the over two and a half, minus 160. I do think that this is going to be a back and forth grappling match. I'd be surprised if one guy gets a submission over the other. If there is, I think it'll be Maximov late, but at least at that point, excuse me, um, it should hit the over two and a half. I don't always, I don't mind Maximov decision plus one twenty either, but uh, yeah, I, I think this is just going to be a back and forth grappling match. If you're loading up a Maximov in uh, parlays, you know, I, I'd I'd hedge out a little bit because I think Petrovsky is going to perform much better than that plus three ten indicates, uh, and it's going to be a very close fight. But I still will go with the favorite here. I'm going to take Nick Maximov to win this fight via decision. All right, next up we got Carlos. Uh, actually, you know what? Let me just quickly see if we have any comments regarding this matchup. Um, uh, Hafkin's saying, I hate the price for Maximov, but I think he should pretty clearly win. Don't rate Petrovsky at all. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the number is just a little bit too high. That's for sure. Uh, MMA experts is on Maximov as well. More with less in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by. Raw Torque saying, hopefully Andre will have a good first round. Nick's line should drop and I'll pick it up. Exactly. That's one of the things that I put in my, uh, my live betting portion of my best bets and props article on the Patreon is 
if you want to bet this live, you know, Petrovsky's first round will likely be his best round. Uh, and then after that, you might get uh, Maximov maybe better than minus 200. That might be a better way to 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 enter in on it rather than paying the minus 370. So, yeah, I like Maximov. Maximov by decision. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. It's a fight that was supposed to take place two weeks ago. We got Carlos Candelario going up against uh, Tatsuro Tyra. Minus 240 for Tyra, plus 205 the return on Carlos Candelario. Now, nothing has changed for me since the last cancellation, right? I have it on pretty good authority that it was more so of a stomach bug for Carlos and that he's back up to 100% here. You know, I trust the source that I have as he's pretty close to Carlos and uh, he wouldn't have taken this fight if he wasn't 100% ready to go once again. That's why it took a couple days for them to see how bad it was for Candelario before they decided to rebook this fight for May, 15, May 14th. It was tentative at first, then they confirmed it a couple days later. He's 100% ready to go. It was just a small sickness. It shouldn't impact his cardio or anything like that. Uh, I'm kind of surprised at how wide the odds are for this one, right? I, I, I pretty much have done this breakdown a couple of times now, but I'll do it once again for you guys. But there always seems to be some sort of mystique around these foreign fighters that come to the UFC with an undefeated record and even, you know, some finishes on the record to boot. But, you know, more often than not, uh, um, guys that have been tested on the North American scene really put up a good uh, uh, effort against these mystical fighters that come over from overseas, right? Um, after writing the tape, there isn't really anything special about Tyra. His back takes are good. His jujitsu is good. But you really got to question the level of competition he's going up against. Candelari, he's fought legit black belts, and they've yet to submit him. He does a good job with the submission defense, and he does a good job scrambling, finding himself on top, and landing good ground and pound on top, either finishing his opponents or grinding them out to a 15-minute decision victory. I thought he performed pretty well on the contender series. I thought he deserved to get the uh, the contract the first time around. Although he lost his second fight on the contender series, the UFC saw something good in him and gave him the contract, hence why he's in the UFC right now. Uh, I think Candelaria will do a good job with this submission defense here, staying out of trouble early in this fight. And then the longer that this fight goes on, I think the confidence level of Tyra will start to drop off, especially with him really facing adversity for the first time in his career. I think Candelario will take over, and I think he'll grind him out over uh, 15 minutes and win this fight via decision, which currently sits at plus 400. The reason I'm not really going all, all in on the decision prop here is strictly because we, we got to see what Tyra has when he does face adversity. Does he actually curl up or does he like actually try to fight back and try to stay in the game? We won't know until he actually goes out there and fights a legit guy. And in my opinion, Carlos Candelario is pretty legit. He's very aggressive and he dominates when he's on top position. And like I said, his defense defensive skills are damn good as well. Um, I think he deserves to be undefeated as I do, thought, uh, do think he won that fight against Victor Altamoreno on the contender series. But like I said, luckily, the UFC still saw that he's a legitimate fighter and they gave him the contract. So at these current odds, I got to go with Tyra, right? More often than not, I look for a reason to, or sorry, I got to go with Candelario. More often than not, I look to fade guys off the contender series. But Candelario seems like a guy that has what it takes to beat a guy in Tyra who I'm not I'm not all that sold of, you know? Uh, building, a, building the record that he has in the Japanese scene the way he has against the opponent he has, I'm not sold. Plus 200, give me Carlos Candelario, and more than likely, he's going to be my dog of the night play here. Uh, Raw Torque saying dogger pass, in my opinion. I agree. I absolutely agree on that. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. I just want to confirm it is the correct one. Yes, we got a strawweight matchup between Verna Jandiroba and 
the 10th appearance, or sorry, the 20th UFC appearance now for Angela Hill. Minus 180 on Verna Jandiroba, plus 155 on Angela Hill. Now, Angela Hill in her last six fights have given up at least one takedown in five of those fights. And, uh, you know, usually doesn't fare the best against opponents that are much better on, on the ground than she is. Verna Jandiroba probably has maybe the second best or third best jiu-jitsu game, pure jiu-jitsu game in this division. And, uh, you know, I think she'll showcase that this weekend. Minus 180 might seem a little bit chalky, especially against uh, an Angela Hill, who had a great performance against Amanda Lemos in her last fight. But Lemos is a much different opponent than what we're going to be getting here with Verna. Verna does a good job in terms of closing the distance, dragging fights to the ground, and asserting her dominant jiu-jitsu game. You know, I know, I know on the UFC stats, I believe her takedown accuracy currently sits at 39%. Her last fight against Amanda Hiba, she wrote one of eight on takedowns. So if we take that out of the equation, she's hitting closer to 52%. There is a 70, 78% takedown defense rate on the Angela Hale side of things. But this might be one of those fights where if Verna gets this fight to the ground, that might be all she needs. Now, I was talking to my guy Clint earlier today, and he had um, pointed me to a, a prop that's out there is the, the decision-only prop. Apparently, Angela Hill sits at plus 105 on a decision-only prop, which I don't think is that bad, right? Because if I think that if Jani Roba gets this fight to the ground, more than likely she's going to lock up a submission, especially if she gets, you know, takedowns in the first and second rounds and gets close to, you know, six to eight minutes of control time. She should be able to, to pull off a submission. But if this fight stays on the feet, you know, the output and the, the movement and the striking of Angela Hill will likely get the better of uh, Verna because Verna's striking game is really all not that great, which is why I'm not going, you know, I'm not, I'm not really rushing to the betting window to bet Jandaroba here because the vast majority of her success depends on her getting this fight to the ground. I do think she will. I do think she'll wrap up a submission. Um, what's her submission prop at right now? Let me just quickly pull that up. Plus 275. Not bad. Not bad. I do favor her here, right? Like I put Janderoba roughly between 65 and 70% in this fight. Yeah, I'm just not impressed with Angela Hill's ground game. And uh, with this being one of the best uh, jiu-jitsu players that she's faced in a couple fights now, I think she's very much going to struggle uh, with dealing with that uh, that top pressure from Verna Janderoba here. So give me Verna and Verna by sub. Rod Torxing, the only guy from Japan I like was Sexy Yama. If I'm not mistaken, he's also Korean. So he's like Korean Japanese. So he wasn't even full Japanese. Hatsu Hioki was the shit back in the day as well. He was a really good Japanese fighter. Um, never really came to fruition inside the UFC, but picked up a couple good wins. TJ Mizzy in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by, my friend. All right, let's keep this train moving along. Next up, we got Michael Johnson going up against Alan Patrick. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 150 on Johnson, plus 130 the return on Alan Patrick. What a shit show of a fight to bet on, right? You got two very much flaky fighters. Uh, in my in my best bets and props article, I pretty much put like shit versus shit. You got to pick which shit is not as shittier than the other shit. You know what I mean? Like, that's what you're getting at this point in time. And, I, you know, I, I hate saying that again uh, about a guy like Michael Johnson, who I respect, man. His striking game is is phenomenal. He has big wins in the past. You no, know, I, I believe the most notable one being that knockout victory over Dustin Poirier uh, a handful of years ago. 
But his hands are great, man. He's a great combination striker. He's a great boxer. He uses his movement very well. But over the last couple of fights, man, he's really hit, really hit a wall in terms of fight IQ and ability to go out there and actually, you know, get the job done. I can't believe he has a record of 19 and 17. That is absolutely atrocious. Let's just look at this. Um, he's been in the UFC since Ultimate Fighter 12, which is uh, he actually lost that one. It's been 12 years now. He lost the the finale there to Jonathan Brookins. See, he has a win over Tony Ferguson, Danny Castillo, Joe Lozon, Glayson Tebow, knocked him out in the second round, and that's back when Glayson Tebow was, you know, pretty pretty steadfast with his uh, with his durability. Melvin Gillard, Edson Barboza, Dustin Poirier, crazy. His last win was Artem Lobov in October of 2018. Right now, he's in the midst of uh, what is that? Three, six, seven, a two and seven run over his last nine fights. Three and seven, if you want to count that uh, Dustin Poirier win and go at the last 10. Not a good luck, man. He was doing great against Tiago Moises back in uh, May of last or of 2020. I believe that was the second event of the COVID era for the UFC. Great, you know, first round and then falls to an ankle lock in that second round against Tiago Moises. Next up, Clay Guida goes out there and lands three takedowns against him and accrues a ton of control time. Doesn't get the dub there either. Now he's going up against Alan Patrick, who has a very solid, um, very solid grappling game of his own but his cardio is a is a big issue that's a big concern for sure if he can't get it going with his grappling he's going to start to eat combinations from michael johnson alan patrick also has that like wild knockouts style on the feet just so that he can close the distance and get his paws on you he could possibly catch michael johnson in one of those right it's been a while since actually we've seen michael johnson inside the cage uh february of 2021 so we're coming up on 15 months since he's been outside of the cage he was scheduled to fight uh patrick last week uh that obviously gets rescheduled to this week but yeah i, I lean on johnson ever so slightly i think he should be around 55 percent here um the over two and a half is intriguing to me at minus 160 as uh you know i can see johnson just touching him up and not really getting a finish or anything and then he's trying not to overextend to not get taken down by a guy like Alan Patrick, who, again, once he asserts his top position, very, very difficult to deal with. But his cardio is just not good. So I'm going over two and a half as my my best bet for this one. I lean Michael Johnson ever so slightly, but I'm not trusting him at shock, and I'm not a big guy on Alan Patrick at this moment in time. So I would just advise passing on this fight. Like, if you want to go out there and bet on this fight, God be with you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very tough fight to call, honestly. Justin Jay in the chat, appreciate you stopping by. Lou Betcha saying strongest bet on the card for him is MJ Patrick. This is the Yambeg special. Bet the point deduction. Take a poke, a poke on each guy winning by DQ. Root for hilarity. That sounds like a Lou Betcha bet if I've ever seen one. We'll see. He's saying we'd usually give that out on Friday. There you guys go. Hafrican saying if Johnson loses to this goof, I'm going to lose my mind. Alan has the most Mickey Mouse 15 and 3 record of all time. I do have to give a shout out to um, Alan Patrick, though. He did cash as a lock of the night play for me way back in the day. Let me just pull up which one it was. Uh, yeah, it was the Demir Hadzvich fight. I had him uh, use a minus 250 closing. I think I, I got him close to a minus 200. But uh, yeah, I wasn't big on Hadzvich at all back then. And uh, Alan Patrick, you know, very difficult to deal with once you get that top position against him, as he showed in the Damian Brown fight, as he showed in the Stevie Ray fight, as he showed in the Demir Hadzvich fight. Funnily enough, that is the last one he has on his record. So we're talking about four years removed, just over four years removed since the last time he got his hand raised in competition. I just don't know if he gets it done against Michael Johnson here. 
again, God be with anybody that's willing to go out there and put their money on a fight like this. Um, let's see here. Socrates in code Lobov. Uh, Uncle Weezy, that's the sharpest thing I've heard on that fight yet, Lou. Probably the only thing worth betting besides the draw. Yeah. Lou Betcha is saying you should check your chat. There you guys go. Uh, Lou Betcha, MJ. Um, Michael Johnson is three and eight as a betting favorite, four and one as a favorite. Hmm. I'm assuming you mean Patrick is four and one as a favorite. There you guys go. Ra Torg saying MJ decision plus 175. I like that. Again, I would rather take the over two and a half. We could get some real fuckery here. Uh, Tammy Gudry stopping by as well. Appreciate that. Tammy saying, let's go heat. We'll see. Let's go Sixers. Sean gone in the chat as well. Appreciate you stopping by. Um, Jared Curry, I think Johnson should win, but it's going to be Patrick by back pocket banana peel. Exactly. Absolutely possible. Okay, Lou Betcher saying 4-1 and one as an underdog. There you guys go. Tim Triano, Troy Troiano, again, obviously butchering his name there, saying 1-800-GAMBLER if you bet Michael J against, uh, or Mike J versus uh, Alan. My guy Corey Yeeple in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight here and get away from that shit show. Again, Pickens, Michael Johnson, over two and a half is probably the only bet I would take in that fight. Next up, we got uh, prelim headliner right away here. Again, only five fights on the prelims, six fights on the main card. Uh, prelim headliner, we're looking at a women's flyweight belt. Uh, Andrea Lee start to part ways here now uh, or she's trying to separate herself minus 120 favorite at this point in time going up against Viviani Araujo who's coming in at plus 100 now when Araujo made her debut I thought she was going to be the shit you know I mean I was very impressed with what I was seeing from this girl vicious striking really stalking her opponents making it difficult for them to get their game going uh, her initial fight was way back at UFC 237 against Talita Bernardo, where she just devastated her with the overhand right in that third round. In the next fight, we saw a little bit of a chink in her armor. You know, she had a huge difficulty getting off her back in that second round against Alexis Davis. Luckily, pulls it off in that third round and gets a decision victory. Next up, she loses five months later to Jessica I, out of all people. And if you look at the statistics for that fight, she gets outstruck. Because Jessica I does a damn good job of pretty much responding anytime Viviani Arujo throw a strike. And then she uh, Jessica I would follow up with a combination. Excuse me. Um, 98 to 56 significant strike advantage there for Jessica I. She did a very good job in terms of working Viviani Arujo in that fight. After that, Arujo goes out there and gets wins over Montana De La Rosa and Roxanne Modafari. She's able to beat that level of fighter. Then she goes up against Chukagin, who outstrikes her by, what is that, 37 strikes, 38 strikes, uh, significant strikes. You know, close second round where Arujo is able to get that top control. She gets two minutes of control time. But as soon as Catlin finds her way back to her feet, she just touches her up once again, absolutely outstriking her in that round, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 58. Sorry. Uh, so actually... Total strikes, Viviani Arusha outstrikes her in that second round, 58 to 37. A lot of that being pitter-patter from on top. But in terms of significant strikes, 35 to 22 in favor of Catelyn Chikagin. And you see why once you watch the round, right? She gets back to her feet and just gets right back to her work with her distance striking, her jab, her one-two down the middle, just absolutely touches up Arujo. Now we're getting a girl in Andrea Lee who can, you know, maybe not give an exact Catelyn Chikagin type of fight, but can go out there and put on... Uh, just put on volume on her opponents. She outstruck uh, Calvio in her last fight. 
84 to 47. She outstruck and or, and then she finished her, uh, or sorry, Calvillo's corner through in the towel at the ending of that second round. I'm sure she probably would have got up to like 110, 120 strikes if that third round had happened. Uh, she defeats Antonina Shevchenko in round uh, two, but still lands 45 significant strikes there. Uh, she gets grounded a couple of times by Roxanne Modafferi and struggles to get back to her feet, but still lands her 97 to 60, albeit in a loss. I thought she won the fight against Lauren Murphy, where she outstruck her 104 to 80 in that fight. Uh, she loses a split decision there. She gets outstruck by Joanne Wood, um, but that's just Joanne Wood's game. She obviously loses that fight. Um, but yeah, go back to the Ashley Evan Smith fight, the Montana De La Rosa fight, even the uh, Veronica Macedo fight. When she goes 15 minutes, she significantly outstrikes her opponents. I'm expecting her to do the same thing here against Arujo. My slight concern as to why I'm not going to actually end up betting Andrea Lee here is if Viviani Arujo goes out there and actually tries to get this fight to the ground and hold Andrea Lee down, she could potentially do that because we've seen that. Uh, that issue from Lee in the past where she doesn't do a good job in terms of getting back to her feet. She struggles in that aspect. And Arujo has, in my opinion, enough strength to hold her down. But if Lee finds her way back to her feet and starts putting the output on Viviani again, it starts swinging back in Andrea Lee's favor. So I do lean Andrea Lee here. I do think she gets the, the decision victory here. The over two and a half is currently sitting at minus 300, even though Lee has a couple finishes on her record over the last couple of fights. But Andrea Lee via decision plus 135. I like that. Again, very close fight. Eileen Lee. I think she's going to put up more numbers there, and I think she gets her hand raised. All right, let's see if anybody has anything to say about this fight. Lou Bet just saying, now Ruzo needs the first two rounds or she's toast. Don't trust her cardio in the third. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree on that. All right, let's keep this moving along. Next up, we are getting to the main card. Good way for me to remind the night owls with us right now. Shout out to everybody watching this on pretty much a midnight on a Wednesday midnight. Uh, 50 of you guys currently with us. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe if you haven't already. Um, yeah, that's really I want to plug. Shout out to the people listening to this uh, on the replay and even the audio versions as well. Truly appreciate your support. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you guys rate the you know rate the podcast however you want to rate it. I'm not going to tell you to give me five stars if you don't think it deserves five stars. Just rate it. You know what I mean? Let other people know what you think about the podcast. And if you are a longtime listener and continuous listener, I'm hoping there's a five star behind that because you would continuously, because of you continuously coming back and listening to the show. Appreciate you guys. All right, let us get to the first fight on the main card. Again, it's a ten. I believe it's a 10 p.m. Eastern start time for the main card. 7.30 p.m. Eastern start time on uh, the prelims. So first fight on the main card, Dana White contender series standout. Jake Hadley making his UFC debut, going up against Alain Nascimento, who had a pretty solid showing against Tagir Ulenbekov in his UFC debut. Although he didn't get his hand raised there, he made it look a lot closer than the odds suggested that night. And same thing could happen here. I expect this to be a grapple-heavy fight as uh, Jake Haley, a large amount of his victories and success comes from taking his opponents to the ground and you know controlling them from the back position, the mount, finding the rear naked choke, finding arm triangle, whatever it may be. He's looked damn good doing that. 
And then on the flip side with Alan Nascimento, decent striking game, nothing special, uh, but he's a you know legit uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt as well. And we saw that in the fight against Tagiro Limbekov, where he can pull off reversals and we can stay offensive off of his back, really making it difficult for his opponent to stay on top. I wanted to take a shot on Nascimento here. But I think Haley's going to be the much stronger fighter here. I think he's a slightly better striker as he asserts his aggressiveness a lot better than what Nascimento does. But I just don't know how comfortable Hadley's going to be trying to control Nascimento on the ground. I like the fight goes to decision around minus 125, minus 150. As, you know, normally Hadley goes out there and finds the finish. But this is going to be the toughest jujitsu opponent he's gone up against. And I think that's going to cause him some trouble in terms of finding a finish. Again, don't count out Nascimento either, man. I, I could see him hitting a reversal. I could see him, you know, finding submission attempts off of his back. I could see him making it difficult for Hadley to settle on top. But I think it is ultimately going to be the strength of Hadley that overcomes that. Now, with me for, for Cage Warriors, it's not the best regional circuit to test your strength against, right? Before you get to the UFC, especially grappling, right? Not many, you know, European guys are known for the grappling prow prowess or a lot of Cage Warriors guys that come out there with the grappling prowess. Jack Shore and and um, Brett Johns may be an exception to that, but like it's very rare that you see guys that are very proficient with the grappling. Jake Hadley's the anomaly there, but of course he's going to look amazing against these guys on the regional scene before he comes to the UFC and starts fighting legitimate competition. Now, it's, you know, given the benefit of the doubt, the win against Mitch Raposo on the contender series was great. He did miss weight that night, but... With the amount of hype that he has on his name, there's no way the UFC was going to let him go, and there's no way that they're going to let him go to Bellator or something like that. Because if they have a special kid like Hadley on their hands, they could definitely get you know solid support, especially from the the European crowd, which is something that they continue to build. Right? They got Tom Aspinall now. Maybe Jake Hadley the next is the next guy for them. You know, we can obviously mention Arnold Allen as well, but that guy just does not stay active enough. Minus two twenty is a little bit too wide for me here. I have Hadley close to, what do I have him here down as? I've Hadley closer to like 60, 65%. He should be favored in this fight, but don't count out Asimento, man. He can make this very, very close. He can make it very sweaty for you. I like the over two and a half, like I said, minus 175, or the fight goes to decision at minus 125, minus 150, with this being a, a back and forth grappling matchup. But I think Hadley will always end up being on top, being one step ahead, and we'll see Nascimento more so just play guard and be comfortable off of his back, thinking he'll hit reversals or thinking that he'll hit submissions off his back. But that will be his ultimate demise, whereas Hadley will get the top control, land good shots from on top, maybe even uh, threaten with a couple of submissions of his own. But I think overall, Hadley is the better fighter here and he should be able to get his hand raised. Tammy Gudry saying five stars all the way. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Lou Betcher saying locked did Raposo take that fight on like two days notice? I believe it was on short notice. I don't know if it was two days though. Let me just quickly uh, pull that up here. Um, who's Hadley originally supposed to fight then? Clayton Rodriguez. Ah, that's what it was. Yeah, Clayton Rodriguez was actually supposed to take on Hadley, and then Raposo stepped in on short notice. Good catch there um, from my guy, Lou Betcha. But yeah, Mitch, uh, again, he was the number one pick on his season of the Ultimate Fighter. Obviously, it didn't pan out for him. Uh, I believe he lost to, yeah, he lost to Ludovic Sholinian. Uh, then he lost to Jake Hadley, obviously, after that. But he did pick up a win in his last fight against Jay Viola uh, a couple weeks ago in March. So Raposo is a solid opponent. But it is good to take into consideration that he took that fight on quite short notice. 
but I'll still go with Jake Hadley to win this fight. All right, let's keep this thing moving along. I love uh, I love being efficient with this stuff <laughs> and not stretching into an hour and a half, two hour podcast. When I have a guest, sure, but when I'm talking to myself, I don't like going too too long. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Frank the Crank Camacho going against going up against another uh, Dana White Contender Series uh, debutant, Manuel Torres. In terms of odds, we're looking at plus. 110 for Frank Camacho, minus 130 to return on Manuel Torres. Now, there's always going to be those fights where we have a Dana White contender series opponent going up again or going up against a UFC veteran, and not just a UFC veteran, but maybe a, a slumping UFC veteran. Last week, we got Journey Newsom, who is obviously winless inside the UFC. He did have that win over Domingo Pilarte, which was ultimately turned over, or sorry, overturned. And that's why he was pretty much winless. And then obviously the fight before uh, his last one, he he got knocked out by uh, Randy Costa. That caused him to be the underdog to Fernie Garcia, who I was not really high on, especially after running the tape. That was an auto bet for me, especially for the UFC veteran to be an underdog there. Now we're getting the same situation here with Frank Camacho against a guy, Manuel Torres, who, you know, he has a handful of finishes on, on under his belt. Uh, he's streaking right now as well. He's 12-2 and two as a professional MMA fighter. Uh, Three-fight winning streak, all first-round finishes, I believe for a total of three and a half minutes total it took for him to win his last three fights. He does have two submission losses on his record, which date back to uh, November of 2018, but he's into like heel hooks and knee bars. Sketchy. You know, Frank Macho is not this crazy submission artist either, right? He's more so known for his striking, his big knockout power. Uh, I want to quickly see if he even has a submission victory under his belt. He has a couple arm triangle victories, so maybe that's something that he can exploit here. But in terms of striking, like, I still need to see more from Manuel to truly be sold on this guy. But even with him beating the guys that he's beating on the regional scene, big question marks for me. Big, big question marks. His last win was via strikes, but that was after a, an alleged eye poke where Colton Unglin was just like, oh, I got poked. And then he just gets absolutely starched by Manuel Torres. But Frank Camacho, man, taking off more than enough time, in my opinion. The last time he fought was June 20th of 2020, which was the night that he got knocked out by Justin James. But, you know, more often than not, his, his durability is not that bad. You know, obviously he had tough losses in the UFC before that. And to against decent welterweight guys, right? Li Jing Liang, Drew Dober, Jeff Neal, but you know, Dariush, Justin James is the only anomaly on his losses over the last couple of fights. But I think he can come back and put together a decent uh uh a decent performance against against the guy Manuel Torres who who needs to show us that he des- you know deserves to be a favorite here. Just the same thing I said about Fernie Garcia last week. There's always going to be those contender series guys that we got to fade uh, with a legitimate UFC fighter. And that's what I think we're getting with Frank Camacho. Ultimately, the reason why I'm not pulling the 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 trigger here on Camacho is, you know, I missed the best line, right? I think people are getting closer to plus 130, plus 140 on Camacho earlier in the week. At plus 110, you know, you're still getting underdog money, but I want it to be, it to be a little bit more than that because there are question marks that I have, right? What is his durability going to look like? Because that can obviously be an issue here. Um, and what is this layoff going to do to him? We're talking about two solid years off now for Frank Camacho coming in against a, you know, a, a hot hand in Manuel Torres. Frank Camacho is not the oldest guy either, right? He's he'll be 33 in about a week's time. Actually, on May 18th, he'll actually be 33. So he's still there, pretty much in his fighting prime, if you want to call it that. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I'm curious, man. As long as his durability holds up here, his combination game should work much, much better than what Manuel Torres brings to the table. And it seems like a lot of success for Torres is front-loaded. So maybe even a live entry on Camacho here after Torres blows his wad, trying to finish uh, Frank Camacho early here. Maybe we get a plus 150, plus 200 on Camacho going into round two. So I'll lean uh, Camacho here very slightly. I'll give him 55%. Um, and I, I do think he should just automatically be the favorite in this spot. Yeah, I see my guy Sneakers, the 219, saying Warriors getting mobbed on right now, which is surprising to me considering that uh, John Morant's not, not playing, right? If I'm not mistaken, John Morant is actually out for, for the rest of the playoffs. And they're up by 40 right now? What is happening? <laughs> what is happening? Who's scoring for the Grizzlies? 21 points from Jaron Jackson, 21 points from Tyus Jones, 21 points from Desmond Bain. Wow. Absolutely crazy. But yeah, this is an MMA podcast. Let's get it going. All right. Let's continue on with the breakdowns here. Next up, we're going to go to Catlin Chukagin going up against Amanda Hebos. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 175 for Chukagin, plus 150 the return on Amanda Hebos. Now, let me just wet the whistle here real quick. <clears throat> All right. Chukagin is, is one of my more reliable fighters, right? She goes out there, and we know what we're going to get with her. We're going to get output. We're going to get movement. Her grappling is obviously improving. I believe she's uh, only given up four out of 12 takedown attempts since she lost her fight to Valentina Shevchenko because people believe that's the way to beat Chukagian now is just take her to the ground, but it's not that easy. She's doing a good job in terms of squirming and getting back to her feet, as we saw in the Viviani Rujo fight, as we saw in the Jennifer Maya fight, as we saw in the Cynthia Calvillo fight. She does a good job in getting back to her feet, and then she just goes back to her bread and butter. Striking, 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 using her length, using her range. And I think it's going to be very difficult for Amanda Hebos to deal with that. Hebos, on the other hand, she's coming off a victory over Verna Jandiroba last time around. You know, that's a fight where she's showing off her, her, her striking, right? She shows good takedown defense, obviously uh, stuffing uh, seven of eight takedown attempts from Vern Janderoba in that fight. But when she goes out there and fights opponents where she, you know, her opponents don't have much striking as she did against Vern Janderoba, as she did against Ronda Marcos, and she did against Mackenzie Dern, yeah, her striking looks great because she looks good while doing it, right? It looks like she's doing everything right. But when she fights like legitimate strikers, we're going to see the differences, right? We saw it in the Marina Rodriguez fight. She doesn't look comfortable getting hit. She gets finished in the second round. Here against Catlin Chikagian. There's a reason Catlin Chikagian via KO is only at plus 500 right now. Given the fact that, let, let's see when the last finish for Chikagian was. Because it wasn't any time recent. The last time Chikagian won a fight via finish was her last fight before coming to the UFC. Against Stephanie Bra Bragayrak. Uh, she beats her with a knee. Round one, 45 seconds into that fight. I, I got to see that. Before that was her second professional fight in September of 2014, where she won via knee once again in round three against uh, Bridget Nar Nar Narcisse, I believe is how you pr pronounce her name. She's not a finisher, but she will jab your head off and she will outstrike you. 
Now we're seeing her really start to sit down on her shots over the last couple of fights. I think it's that she wants to kind of make a statement to the UFC saying that, you know, I deserve to be on the roster because I believe it was, it was after her last fight that, uh, you know, that there was some question marks whether the UFC would resign her because it was the last fight on her contract. And there's, you know, a lot of talks that she wasn't going to resign because the UFC just wasn't a fan of her style. But maybe she wants to go out there and change that now. This is a great opponent for her to do that against an Amanda Hibas, who, again, her striking looks okay. But when she fights a girl like Chukagin, who's really going to put it on her there, especially with the numbers, Hibas is going to look flustered. She's going to go for, um, you know, desperation takedowns. And Chukagin will, you know, very much capitalize on top of that. So I like Chukagin a lot here. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm not the most impressed with Hibas's takedown game because if she had a better wrestling game, I wouldn't be so confident, so, uh, confident on Chukagin here. But again, I don't think it's as easy as people expect it to be to just take down Chukagin and, uh, you know, ground her and grind her out how Valentina Shevchenko did. How can you compare the two, right? There's a reason that Cynthia Calvillo was such a big favorite against Chukagin that night. She was a, a minus 210, 220 favorite against uh, Chukagin at UFC 255. And I took the no-brainer shot on Chukagin there, and it paid off. Stuffed the takedowns and just did exactly what Caitlin Chukagin does. Viviane Rujo fights, she gets taken down, she scrambles. She doesn't settle really on her back. She tries to create scrambles. A lot of it is her just diving on the legs or leg locks and stuff, and that causes the scramble so that she can get back to her feet. She does that very well, and I think she can do that here against Hibas if she does find herself on the ground. I'm not big on Hibas. I've always thought she's a fraud, um, and I think that this is another fight where we're going to see that as True K game pretty much just touches her up for the majority of uh, 15 minutes here. So I'm going Chukagin. I already have a three-unit bet on her at minus 170, I believe it is. Uh, I got to get that number correctly. I believe it's between minus 170 and minus 175. I put three units on her. I think she's a damn good spot here. She She's my she's my fe female Neil Magny, a fighter that I know I can go out there and pretty much rely on that they're going to go out there and do what I need them to do. There was a slight slip up in Neil Magny in his last fight against Max Griffin. Got his shit together, still ended up getting the win. Those are veterans. Chukagin is a veteran, and she's going to put it on Hebus here. Maybe get the finish, but I'm okay just taking the minus 175 here. Jared Curry, spitting the truth. Death taxes, Chukagin by decision. I agree. Lou Betcha saying Chukagin's KO prop is plus 400, plus 450, depending on where you're looking at. This is nuts. Yeah, because... People know that he bust does not like, like getting hit on the feet. And I think the, the bookmakers are privy to it, right? Even though Chukigian hasn't had a knockout victory in forever, not even in the UFC, they still expect her to go out there and just touch up he bust and get her out of there. I think it's absolutely possible in this spot. Jared Curry saying he bust moving up to 125, but she had a fight at 115 scheduled on uh, March 26th. It was canceled, but I doubt she can properly move up division in six to seven weeks while in camp. On goes the Chuk Chuk train. That is another great um, uh, look here, or another great angle as well, right? He bust normally a straw weight. Let's see what the, uh, the metric differences are going to be here between the two. Chuk should be the taller here. Yeah. Oh, my God. Six-inch height advantage for Chukagian, as well as a two-inch reach advantage. Again, she utilizes her height so much better than her opponents. And a lot of Hibas's takedowns, like, I've, again, I was searching far and wide in terms of how Hibas is going to get this to the ground, if she's going to have success at all. And a lot of it is her countering her opponents who overextend on their strikes by dipping under, getting the body lock, and dragging them to the ground. 
I'd be surprised if she's going to be able to get that close to Chuki again over and over again. Give me Chuki here. More with less saying would just uh, bet Chuk Mayline here. She starts sitting down on her punches against Maya. He busts is small, moving up in weight, huge height discrepancy. Also, Rodriguez killed her, who hits hard but decisions. Yes. Chris, Chris Greaves saying Chukagian is the best tennis player in women's MMA. I absolutely agree. Socrates is saying so hot. I'm assuming he's talking about Hibas. More with less saying Hibas is also an ungainly striker. Her style is striker, anti grappler. She can't beat pure strikers. Bang on. She looks good against non-strikers. Striking. That's where she's honey-dicking a lot of people. That's where she's deceiving a lot of people. Uh, Stefan saying, Stefan Milito sorry, Stefan Militovich saying, Caitlin, Grant, and Rakic. Not bad. Uh, Jerry Curry, this spot almost feels too good. Like, I can't quite believe Chuk is only minus 175. That's what I said to myself when she fought Jennifer Maya last time around. I took that spot at, at a five-unit lock of the night play. I'm taking this at three units because I do have another lock of the night, or I do have a lock of the night play on this card, which just so happens to be the next fight. So let's move on to the next fight here. We got Davy Grant coming in as a minus 300 favorite, plus 250 the return on Luis Smoka. I love violence in this bet. Absolutely love violence in this bet. 34 out of the combined 44 fights between these guys have finished inside the distance. That is a, what, 77% uh, uh, hit rate of the fights not going to a decision. Which means, you know, if we're using implied odds and all that stuff, it should be close to the minus 335. But I pulled the trigger on this under 2.5 at minus 164. Four units, minus 164. There's my lock of the night play. One of these guys getting a finish one way or another. Davy Grant, heavy power striker, throws a ton into his strikes, as we've seen with him getting knockout wins over Martin Day and Jonathan Martinez. And then on the flip side with Luis Smoko, we obviously just saw him get starched by Vince Moraz, who hasn't really been much of a knockout puncher lately. So that's a big red flag on the Smoka side. But even for Smoka's side of a, of, of a finishing argument, uh, the vast majority of the losses on Davy Grant's record coming via submission. We know Smoka's quite crafty on the ground, so if he's able to get it there, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up taking the back of Davy Grant and getting a submission victory. I can't fathom paying minus 300 on Davy Grant, although I think that his power striking will be too much for Luis Smoka to deal with, and he'll ultimately get the knockout. So I'd rather bet plus 135 on Davy Grant to win by a TKO at plus 135 rather than loading up on him at minus 300. But even better, like I said, the under two and a half, I got it at minus 164. I'm seeing minus 160 and minus 155 at certain places. That's the way to go. Violence here, no doubt about it, in my opinion. I went four units because, after all, these are these are smaller guys. You know, I'm not sure what's keeping me away from making it a full five-unit play. Maybe if I get a better line come fight time, I, I might add that extra unit. But I feel great at one unit, at, at, or sorry, four units at minus 164. Violence. Both guys. Both guys are nothing but violence all the time. Luis Smoko with his forward pressure all the time. That will likely get him KO'd in the spot. If anything, it could also in, in, start a, a grappling sequence where he might be able to find the submission victory. Uh, Smoko by sub is plus 650, which I don't think is that bad. And then on the flip side for Grant, Grant KO plus 135. Those are two of the most likely outcomes in this fight. Under two and a half, that is my lock. And then I play there. 
Hafrikan saying uh, David Grant inside the distance at plus 100 is extremely appetizing and Bodog has smoke submission at plus 650, which is a bit fucking bananas line. The, on the same page here, violence in this fight. I'd rather cover both ends here and just take the chalk on the under two and a half. We good. <laughs> More with less things. Smoke or rhymes with polka. <laughs> I love it. All right. Let us move on to the co-main event here. It's a light heavyweight main event and co-main event that we got up. Uh, first of which, Ryan Spann versus Iwan Kutilaba. We got minus 220 on Kutilaba and plus 185 on Ryan Spann. Good old best fight odds still calling Iwan Kutilaba, Iwan Kuralaba. We'll see how that affects him going into the cage. Now, Kutalaba recently aligned himself with Extreme Couture, and we saw that discipline instilled in him by Eric Nixick in his last fight against uh, uh, Devin Clark. Did a good job of landing uh, takedowns, and then when he was on top position, he wasn't really going balls to the wall and draining his gas tank trying to get him out of there. He did a good job in, in terms of asserting his position first, raining down big shots, winning those rounds, and then, you know, winning the first two rounds by just dominating him. Uh, and it, he started to slip up in the, uh, you know, the last bit of that third round, but he was still good enough to go out there and, and survive and, and win that fight via decision. The fight before that, we obviously saw him go balls to the wall against Dustin Jacoby and pay for it later in that fight as he just didn't have the gas tank to go out there and deal with the striking advantage that Dustin Jacoby had that night. But if we're starting to see a more disciplined version of Kutilaba, that's a scary man. You know, solid wrestling. He has a great Greco-Roman uh, wrestling background, if I'm not mistaken. Um, big power in his hands and a great coach like Eric Nixick in his corner. You got to believe that there's some big things coming for Kutalaba, hence why he's a minus 220 favorite in this spot. Ryan Spann, on the other hand, you know, a little bit sketchy for him lately. Obviously lost the last fight to Anthony Smith where he got stopped. Um uh, he did pick up a win over Misha Sirkinov, but we know that Sirkinov's shin is pretty much null. Johnny Walker, he gets finished by Johnny Walker there. And then he goes to a split decision with Sam Alvey at the first fight uh, back for the UFC since the COVID era. Not a good look. He has good power. He's a big guy for the division. But that's where it stops. You know, I think the deeper fights go, I, I think it's harder and harder for him to find the win. He has that second round victory over Devin Clark, but... You know, it seemed like he was very lackadaisical in that first round, but then finally started to turn it up in that second round, eventually finding that uh, guillotine choke against Devin Clark. But I think he's going to struggle here against Kutilaba, who historically, solid durability, right? With the exception of a precision striker like Magomed Ankalaev. But I do think that Kutilaba will uh, will handle that early adversity pretty well here against Ryan Spann. Maybe get some takedowns going, assert that top position, and really grind on Ryan Spann in this spot. I think that uh, this fight likely goes over that one and a half mark, which currently sits at plus 104. I think Kutalaba could eventually find a finish later in this fight, but I do think that we'll see a continued disciplined version of him where he grinds this fight out and likely, likely wins it by decision, and that line is currently sitting at plus 600. I'm going to take a little bit of a sprinkle on that because I do think, again, if if he stays on game plan here, he should win this fight over 15 minutes. Ryan Spann doesn't have much to offer in that early, or sorry, later in this fight. And there is the possibility that if Kutilaba's gas tank does fail him, maybe a possibility that Spann gets a late finish here. But I just think he's going to struggle dealing with the, the overall game of Kutilaba. I do think that Kutilaba has truly, you know, turned a corner we need to see more performances from him like the Devin Clark fight to truly say that. But at 28 years old and aligning himself with one of the best coaches in the game, I think we'll see a better Kutilaba, 
game in or day in and day out. And uh, I think he struggles here. Or sorry, I think Ryan Span struggles here against Kutalaba, who will be the much better fighter overall. So yeah, give me Kutalaba. Not so crazy to you know bet him at minus two twenty. I think the odds are pretty much correct here. But yeah, I think Kutalaba wins this fight. I don't think uh, I don't think Span is that good. Hate to say it, you know, he's a Fortis guy with um, a guy safe Sayud, but a lot of it is his success is based on his his size and his knockout power. And I think although he has uh, Kutalaba kind of dwarfed here, I don't think he's going to deal with the wrestling well here. So give me uh, give me an E1 Kutalaba, but more than likely a pass for me. Okay, asking uh, me, do I have Andrea Lee? Uh, I do have Andrea Lee, but I'm not betting on that fight. Josh Sergey on the chat saying another 1K parlay cashing. Good luck, my friend. And yes, okay, please rewind if you want to hear my breakdown about the Andrew Lee fight. Jared Curry saying smoke a sub plus 650 is your hedge if you're a heavy investor, heavily investing grant. I agree. Hafrican saying Span has the heavyweight body with the flyweight chin. Kutalaba gonna assault Span. I couldn't find KO lines for Kutalaba, but I put a solid bet on Kutalaba inside the distance at minus 138. I like that. I like it. Again, decision, I think is possible. But we'll see what uh, how the durability of Span holds up. More with less saying Kutalaba already beat better guys when he ha- ha- was much worse. Yeah, good point there. Jared Curry saying E1 at Extreme Couture is going to be amazing for him. I think we see him uh, another step here and smoke out Span wherever he chooses. Absolutely. Again, this is like heavyweights, right? Anything can happen, but I don't think that uh, we'll see Span get that win. UFC Sharp is saying Span by sub. That is a possibility for him, absolutely. Kung Dao Chicken saying, you see the Warriors get destroyed. What's the, what's the score now? Wow, final, 134 to 95. Almost a 40-point loss for the Warriors. They're not a good look, especially with no John Morant. Josh Shergo saying, Spat in over two and a half and get Davey fight is a lock. We'll see. Exactly, just kidding. This fucking guy. <laughs> All right. That brings us to the main event. Shout out to the 50-ish live viewers that we currently have on this midnight, Wednesday night, I guess Thursday morning now, two minutes into, or sorry, six minutes into Thursday morning. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. And let's get right into the main event. We got Jan Blachowicz looking to bounce back after his uh, title defense Gaff, if that's what you want to call it. He obviously lost the title to Glover Teixeira back in October of last year. Um, these guys were scheduled to fight in March, but unfortunately, Blahovich had to pull out due to some sort of neck issue, which is not a good look, especially when he's 39 years old going up against a young guy in Alexander Rakic who is likely going to test that neck <laughs> in this fight. Uh, in terms of odds, let me just quickly pull that up here since best fight odds, for some reason, has it under future events. But uh, we're getting minus 195 on Rakic, plus 165 the return on Jan Blahovic. I'm a big Rakic fan. You know, I thought he won the, the Volkan Uzdemir fight. He likely should have already had his title shot by now. But at least the UFC is giving him the respect he deserves. Even if he has been boring over his last couple of fights, uh, he's a, still a big, solid contender in this top five of the, the light heavyweight division. And a win here over Jan Blahovic especially if it's dominant, could line him up for a title fight in his next fight. Obviously, we know uh, Glover Teixeira is fighting 
uh, Yuri Prohaska and June, and likely the winner of this fight, if dominant enough, will line themselves up for a title fight. Uh, I like Rakic, man. Uh, you know, solid striker, good wrestling, good pace, good pressure. Um, just great job with fainting, as we saw in the Tiago Santos fight, where he kept Santos on the outside and just had him biting on all of his feints pretty much. And then pretty much just controlling the fight with feints, right? And really nullified the, the 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 power of Santos by just keeping him backing him up for the majority of that fight. Then we saw him, you know, not land any takedowns against Anthony Smith, but still managed to accrue like 13 minutes of control time in that fight as he did a good job on capitalizing on certain positions from Smith, whether it's reversing a takedown attempt from Smith, whether it's dropping Smith, whether it's checking kick and just pushing him down and getting on top of him. Did a great job there. Then we also see, you know, highlight real KOs of Jimmy Manu and uh, Devin Clark earlier in his UFC career. But I'm hoping that we see the version that we saw against Justin Ledet, right? That was a version where we saw him go out there and just ground Ledet over and over again and then really just grind him out and land big, big ground and pound throughout the majority of that fight. That was the second fight in the UFC. He landed three of four takedowns in that fight. 12 and a half minutes of control time, but landed 263 total strikes from top position. 104 of them significant, but 263 from on top. He landed 115 total strikes alone in that second round against Justin Ledet. I thought that's the, the racket we were going to get over and over again. The guy that goes out there and puts on a Cain Velasquez type style, because that's what he did. Again, shout out to my guy Anthony Hernandez as well. If you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, I had Elliot Marshall on the on the show, and I, you know, compared uh Anthony Hernandez's style to Kane Velasquez, which was takedowns and just beating his opponent up on the ground. I think that's what Rakish does well is here, and I think he could do that against the Brown Belt in Jan Blahovich. Blahovich, you know, his kicking game is great. It's great that he found his Polish power later on in his UFC career to get him that title and win a couple fights. But I think it comes to a screeching halt here. My only concern is what Rakic's gas tank looks like over 25 minutes. Because if he goes out there and tries to grapple heavily here, you know, what if he does start to tax a little bit later in this fight? And we do get some Polish power that ignites in the rounds four, round five, because Rakic is starting to slow down. That's my main concern. But I want to see him go out there and put on a solid performance over 25 minutes. And I think that's something he can do. I do think that Blahovich is, you know, his time has come, man. It's going to be tough to beat a guy that's like 11 years younger than you, way stronger than you, and probably better than you all around. You're only going to be able to, you know, uh, lean on that Polish power for so long. Sure, the body kicks that he used against uh, Dominic Reyes, which eventually set up his knockout, could work for him here. But Rakic is the much better kicker, man, to the body, to the legs, the calf kick, all that shit. Rakic is, is really deadly in those spots. Now, the main thing here is don't let your emotions of how he fights disturb the betting line here. Because I think it's accurate. I think it could even be more so in favor of Rakic. I got Rakic closer to 70% in this fight. It's really just Polish power that will likely beat him in the spot, and I don't think that's going to happen. I think we see Rakic ground him when he needs to. I think we see him control him uh, on the feet with his feints and keeping him backing up for the majority of this fight. Some power kicking, power strikes. I like Rakic uh, a decent amount here. I haven't made a bet on him. I might. I don't mind eating the chalk here. But, uh, yeah, I like it. Give me Rakic. Let's say a Rakic decision, plus 175.
All right, let's see uh, what the chat is here. And then I'm going to sign off. More with less saying uh, Blahovich fights are some of the hardest bets. Yep. Sometimes he shows up a lot more than people are expecting him. UFC Sharp is saying my lock of the night is going to be David Grant and Chuk Parlay. Double your dough for plus 111. Keeping it simple this week. Good luck, my friend. I agree with both those bets. I do. Jared Curry, apparently he had temporary paralysis on the left side of his body for a little bit. I'll have to double check on it, but that's some scary shit. Absolutely. African saying rackets jumped off the page at me at minus 170 on Monday. Phenomenal athlete and gigantic dude. I think he's going to be the champ next after Glover and Yuri. Possibly. I would love to see Rakic versus uh, Uncle Live. That will be amazing. Josh Rego saying time to cash Glover's sub as a dog once again. Keep disrespecting my cha-cha. <laughs> I love it. Uh, more with less saying, think Jan is more happy than uh, to, more than happy to fight at range, especially after the Glover fight. Think Rakic has the better weapons at range. I agree. Time is not a line. First day I work after sitting idle for two years, just dropping in to say you're the best and have a good show. Thank you, my friend. Good luck with your job and uh, keep killing it. Alexei Shustian saying he keeps forgetting the Polish power in hotel room. <laughs> Uh, the African saying, Jan does have some of the best leg kick checks in MMA, though. Everyone forgets he was actually beating Izzy on the feet. Feels to me like Rakic needs to grapple to win comfortably here. Good call here, right? A lot of people thought that Jan mainly won that off his grappling, which is true later in the fight. But those are early rounds, man. He was, he was doing a good job. But I think a lot of that had to do with Izzy normally being the bigger guy in his fights and using his range a lot better, whereas Jan was, you know, the bigger guy in the cage there. He was able to kind of, you know, stay at the range that he needed to to be successful and not let um not let uh izzy you know stay too far out and just chip away from distance but i do think that uh rakic can have success striking as well i think once jan feels the power of the kicks and all that i think he's going to start to respect it as well if this is a 25 minute kickboxing matchup yes of course it's going to look closer in my opinion but i still do think that rakic will come out on top alex weber in the chat appreciate you stopping by my friend Stefan saying Rakic has better ring IQ, in my opinion. He'll do enough to win. Yeah, and he doesn't mind being boring doing so. In this case, it might benefit him to try to be a little bit more entertaining so that he can uh, uh, solidify that title shot. But just keep winning, bro. At a certain point, they can't uh, they can't deny you. Just ask Carlos Barza. <laughs> you know what I mean? They never wanted to give her a title shot, but she kept winning. She kept knocking off the contenders. Now, if Rakic goes out there and knocks off a former UFC champion, it's going to be hard to... Uh, Hard to reject him here. Alex Ruber saying, what's with the 76ers? So again, 76ers, this logo is probably one of my favorite logos in all of the NBA and also represents my favorite player of all time, Allen Iverson. So love the 76ers. Cheering for them as well because I'm a Joel Embiid fan. Stefan saying, Rakic almost stopped Anthony Smith with leg kicks. Yeah. It will be interesting to see if he goes back to the well here with that. He's very good at managing his range, man. Rakic is a, is a very solid fighter. All right, so I'm going to go Rakic. Rackage via decision. More or less also asserting here last thing. My big concern is that Yan does really well against pure strikers. Izzy and Reyes. I agree to a certain extent. I I, I think I think Reyes was being a little bit too overrated because considering how close of a fight he had with uh John Jones. And then Izzy, I, I do think a lot of that had to do with um moving up in weight. All right. So just to recap here, just my picks. Right off the cuff here for you guys. Again, rewind. 
listen to the whole podcast to hear my reasoning for every pick. But I'm going to go Nick Maximov. I'm going to go Carlos Candelario, who will likely be my dog of the night play. I'm going to go Verna Jandiroba, uh, Michael Johnson, Andrea Lee, Jake Hadley, Frank Camacho, Catlin Shkagan, uh, Davey Grant, but I love the under two and a half there. Uh, Iwan Kutilaba, and then Alexander Rakic. Again, official plays won't be posted to the public, only behind the Patreon wall this week since I am on a three-event winning streak. Once I hit that losing streak, losing event, I will go back to free picks for everybody. All right. Appreciate the love. Appreciate the support. As always, hit that like and subscribe on the way out. Hit the Patreon if you want to show a little extra support. Five bucks a month is uh, pennies for most people. Um, love you guys. Good luck. And uh, I do want to say this one last time. Jared Curry saying somewhere out there, someone is texting the group chat how Michael Johnson is a lock this week. Won't be my chat. Won't be my Discord. All right. That's a wrap on the, the breakdowns. Appreciate you guys as always. And I'll see you guys tomorrow, Thursday, technically today, Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, me and Cody going live for propping you up. Friday, Ultimate Wayne Show should have a special guest for that one. And then obviously Saturday, Fight Day Live Chat, 1 p.m. Eastern. You guys know what it is. All right, good luck on your bets. I'll see you guys tomorrow for propping you up. Peace out.